0: Well, once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I want to welcome you to the show. This episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by ECHO. Of course, stethoscope technology by ECHO helps EMS providers make confident, split-second decisions in the most challenging environments by enhancing stethoscope sounds. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O-Health And here he is, my friend, the guy the man kelly grayson kg what's going on
1: i i specifically wrote the man the myth the legend you didn't you didn't read it right man i don't don't it's
0: all right right. man i i mean i'm i'm working on it
1: uh. (laughs) it's good man it's it's good feeling better uh getting getting back into the swing of things uh i'll find out from the doctors today when i can go back to work so yeah, what do you think it's, it's all good?
0: Be? What do you think it's gonna be? Are you gonna be out for a while or
1: uh I'll i I'll be off work probably until the week before Christmas. So That sucks. So right, I'm right but boy, I'm yeah. I'm getting up, getting some exercise, walking, walking a mile, walking a green mile, walking a mile. <laughs> and just, well, at least you're kind of so trying, a- trying to expand upon that. Yeah. Yeah. very
0: cool very cool so uh as we come yeah. towards the uh, end of uh, this is the end of the third week of november uh you know mm-hmm. social media is a torrent of uh, topics and you know comments and the latest one uh, really had to do with uh you know airway management for emts and mm-hmm. we've taken on this topic before about uh you know, EMTs and their abilities and what we use them Mm -hmm. for and what we need to be using them for. You know, one of the things that we did uh, while you were out, uh, it was the week of your surgery, I had Matt Zavodsky on and we were kind of talking about the EMS shortage, right? And how a lot Mm -hmm. of EMS agencies are going to have to make do with the resources that they have. And a lot of systems now are going to have to make the determination of what future systems are going to look like. You know, Kelly, we we created this environment that we're in when it comes to dual paramedic trucks, right? I mean, a, a lot of us wanted mm-hmm. dual paramedic trucks. A lot of us said that we need to have a paramedic. We created this truck, monster. You know, and even when we went to RFP, yeah. you know, we said we'll put two paramedics on a truck. We'll put a paramedic and an EMT on a truck. But the science is telling us that we don't need to have two paramedics on the truck. Why can't Mm -hmm. we have a core of EMTs that are doing great work that are able now to increase in increase their scope of practice? And we have one or two or three paramedics that are in uh, chase vehicles that are in, you know, whatever kind of vehicles and going to the calls where they're going to be needed. You know, I remember up in Rhode Island, and maybe I'm starting to babble as I get on this soapbox tangent, I remember up in Rhode Island, they used to have a EMTC, which was a cardiac EMT Mm -hmm. that was able to respond to cardiac arrests and do things that we needed to do. But this show really gets uh, gets its traction from some of the things that we were, you and I were kind of commenting on on social media. But mm-hmm. maybe set it up for them and and a little bit better than I did with all my babbling and and uh, moving along uh, as I did this morning.
1: Yeah. Well, the crux of the issue is this: EMS one posed a a uh, article, posted an article, and posed the question: uh, Can EMTs be safely taught to and uh, insert supraglottic airways. And oh, the hue and cry um, <clears throat> from from people whose education and EMS systems are still firmly stuck in the 90s. Um, the answer being, yeah, yes, we can. Uh, many places have been doing it for 20 plus years and the world did not end in those places. And yes, you can do it. Um, I, I think most of the opposition goes back to the, that old adage, if you've seen one EMS system, you've seen one EMS system, and that, that many people's thinking on the subject is trapped by their own experience, and uh, they could do with some, some outside perspective, and uh, the same is true of, of educators who, who are used to teaching one way, and they think, uh, well, you know, that's the only way I can teach when it's not necessarily true. So uh, my position on this is plain. We made this. We made this uh, position plain in, in previous episodes of this podcast. Yes, your EMTs can safely insert supraglottic airways, and yes, they can be educated to do so within the current existing framework of the edu- of the EMS educational guidelines. Uh, unless uh, your version of what they're doing in the EMS educational guidelines is circa 1993, and the only thing you have done differently in that intervening period is just update your terminology a little bit so yeah I, I think it can be done i i i have a hard time and this is something i'm passionate about man i get kind of pissed off when people talk about emts as if they're their equipment sherpas and they're incapable of rational thought and critical thinking and, and problem solving um if that's what emts are in your state then you need to expect more of your EMTs because people tend to meet the expectations that you set for them. And that's it plain and simple. You know, it, uh, I know of paramedics where the paramedics uh, or systems where the paramedics are not very good because the, the, that's all the medical director expects of them is to follow orders blindly with no critical thinking, no, no problem solving <clears throat> and that sort of thing. And as a result, they, they get exactly what their system set them up for.
0: You know, I think when we start to, if, if you and I have this whiteboard and we're going to create a new EMS system mm-hmm. of uh, of the future, I mean, what is that going to look like? You know, one of the things that Matt said in our show that was interesting as well is, you know, even having an EMT and a driver, a real driver. Mm-hmm. To get them to the hospital, you know, I mean, so when we think about that, but, you know, one of the things that I put on social media was we really need to be able to allow the EMS organizations to develop the EMTs that they need for them for their systems, you know, we, we got a lot a 10 week course for an EMT in, in a lot of the states. Uh, Some people are pushing through EMT training a lot faster than that. I don't know that it has to be faster than that. I think that there are things that could be done in EMT courses that give them the knowledge that they need to get out and get into the workforce. And what I think needs to happen is we need to have a robust training, initial training, ongoing training, continuing education in our systems that train the EMT to the system that we're going to need them. So if I want them to drop a Mm -hmm. supraglottic airway, I want to be able to teach them airway management. One of the courses that I used to teach at conferences for a long time, Kelly, was a 16-hour EKG course for EMTs. It was called Mm -hmm. Basic Basic EKGs for EMTs. And you know what? At the end of the two days, they were reading basic EKGs with atrial. And, you know, I mean, I still got that course. I'll sell it to you, Kelly. You want to buy it? No, but, not
1: really. Cause I've actually done the same thing myself. I developed my own.
0: Oh, sure you did. <laughs> after you were in my class, I'm sure. But, oh, uh, yeah, right.
1: But, uh, but it's the point of, you know what? At the
0: end of yeah. the 16 hours, they were reading basic EKGs, mm-hmm. right? So going back to my thought, that if you are now able to um, train them to do whatever it is, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then what you do is you train them, you have them practice, you sign off competencies. The medical director mm-hmm. signs off competencies, and that's the secret to this, right? Let, let, let's yeah. let's not gloss over this competency thing, because yeah. I think that this is one of the one of the biggest challenges that we have as EMS educators is we teach them a skill. And then they're not, you know, we're not qualifying that they're able to do the skill, but then they need to be able to sign that they're doing mm-hmm. the skill. When when you yeah. have issues with employees, it's based in four areas, right? I probably said this before, yeah. I'll say it again.
1: Yeah, it's
0: it's training. They weren't trained, they'll always say that. Well, no one ever taught me that, right? The biggest thing mm-hmm. they'll say. Number two, the environment. Something in the environment that's going on around them is causing challenges that's keeping them from doing their job. Number three. They don't have the equipment to do their job or the equipment is poor to do their job. Number four, it's just a behavioral issue. It's a personality issue. It's a habit issue, whatever that is. Right. So we need to be able to ensure that the training that we give our workforce is the most important component to the success of that agency. I think that's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I would love to be able to see in the future of EMS is giving each system the responsibility from the state side to train the EMTs and take
1: them to the next level. I, I agree with you in some ways, but fundamentally uh, on that, I disagree with you. Big surprise. Um, simply because, you know, I, I've always said that this experience is, is a really rotten way to, to evaluate and teach someone. And it's, it's one of the lowest uh qualifications uh, for for doing anything because not all experience is good. And that's one of the problems with EMS in the first place. Uh, we have farmed out our formal education to on the job training uh, by uh, and largely delivered by people uh, who with with uh, nebulous education, qualification, uh, poor personality traits for the job and that sort of thing. Uh, all too often in many EMS systems, what makes a, a FTO or a preceptor is you. you your boots are shined and you, you don't get any complaints. You turn in your tickets billable and on time. But but deep down, you couldn't teach an armadillo to dig a hole in the ground. And, and that's what we need. We need people who are mentors and educators as FTOs. And all, all too often, it's based on seniority, dude. You, you manage to stay at an organization longer than anyone else without getting fired. So they bumped you up the chain. Uh, the living embodiment of the Peter Principle. You know, the, a, a lot of FTO programs are filled with people who have risen, uh, risen to their own level of incompetence. But be that as it may. Um, it's still something that we can do, and, and it doesn't require a wholesale uh, revision of the EMS educational system to teach them, for example, superglottic airways. Uh, I, I see with you where, you know, I, I'm with you where where we need to be able to create a base level of EMT and then let uh, the agencies decide if they need to augment that or not. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um Uh, All too often, though, I think that our state protocols and the things that we try to develop to aid this are written so poorly that they are not a floor as they are intended to be. They are a ceiling. Um, the, The way I phrase it is there's no ceiling on your education. There's no ceiling on your knowledge level. There's only a ceiling on your practice. And that is largely a artificial regulatory and reimbursement construct in a real one. You know, there's no real difference between ALS and BLS, for example. There's just care. Uh, but many people see it see it differently. But one of, one of the guys in, in uh, the commenting in, in that thread was a uh, um, respected EMS educator. And, and he and I have different – he's a good guy, met him, drank, drank a few beers with him. But I, I think in the system he works in, the system he grew up in, uh, he's a little bit trapped by, by that way of thinking. Um, and, and I don't agree with him. He's like, oh, well, you know, we, we, how, how much do we have to expand the EMT program to teach this? And, and, and if we're going to do that, why don't we just make them advanced EMTs? And someone else chimed in, well, yeah, sure. We can teach them sarcastically you know, we can teach them uh, how to su- insert supraglottic airways as soon as they know about acid base balance and so on and so forth. And dude, that's not necessary. It's not necessary. If you're teaching the pathophysiology section from any EMT textbook currently written uh, and written and done as the EMS educational standards uh, would expect you to, there's enough pathophys in there, including um, chemical and, and nervous regulation of respiration. In other words, how we get rid of CO2, manage our body's pH, all of that kind of stuff. To to teach an EMT to adequately understand. You know, here, hey, here's a quick formula, guys. For every 10 millimeters of mercury of, of CO2 you blow off, you move pH 0.08 in the opposite direction, if everything else is equal. Okay. That's a pretty sh- straightforward relative thing. You don't need as an EMT to be able to, to interpret blood gases. But heck, if you want to interpret blood gases, I can teach you simple respiratory and metabolic acidosis in a couple of hours. It's not rocket science it's a little more difficult at the paramedic level when we have more variables that we need to uh consider but for the matter of of putting in a blindly inserted airway it's it's you know it's cake it's not hard to do and i just don't understand why people don't utilize their partners to the degree that they could well i mean
0: i I, you know i did take something away from what you said but you know i don't know that i was really talking about on the job training (laughs) And I kind of listed out what I would would set up as a clinical director. You know, I spent 10 years as a clinical director, Mm -hmm. um, and this is how I would set up my program. But before we do that, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to hear about Echo Core (laughs) Stethoscope. And when we come back on the other side of that break, I am going to outline my training program to get EMTs up to speed for dropping an adjunct airway. Kelly, go ahead.
1: All right. Core stethoscope technology by Echo with active noise cancellation and up to 40 times amplification helps EMS providers assess hard to hear heart, lung, and other body sounds in even the loudest situations. I've tested the Echo Core technology. I use an Echo Core Lippmann stethoscope every day and I can tell you that it is a game changer. It will help you hear things that you didn't think were possible to hear and you will love it if you try it learn more at EchoHealth.com. that's ekohealth.com health.com and use code ems1 for $20 off you know
0: so one of the things that I think is important is you know you kind of brought it into this realm of you know on a job training and I'm not advocating for that as well at all OK, so here's what I would do if I was in charge of a clinical department or even if I was in charge of an agency. I think we've got to now be able to think about how we're going to restructure our organizations and what they're going to look like. So we go ahead and have an EMT that comes out of class after their standard coursework, whether it's eight weeks, whether it's 10 weeks, whether it's 100 mm-hmm. hours, depending on whatever, whatever that is. And then we bring them into the organization and we do a normal orientation to get them on the trucks. Now, what we're doing is we're able to utilize them in a way that they are trained to assist our uh, agency to do the work that they can do, can do based on their current certification. As the organization, it's my job now to develop a plan for the individual EMT or for the group of EMTs. So one of the things that that's going to include is that's gonna include study, that's going to include classroom work, that's going to include testing, that's going to include some virtual training. And Mm -hmm. whether we keep them on the truck for that time or whether we pull them off the truck one day a week, we give them that additional training. As we give them the skills that they need to have to be this next level of EMT inside our organization, you know, so whether it's dropping an airway, whether it's glucose, whether it's EpiPens, um, you know, why can't they draw up epinephrine out of a vial and kind of utilize that as well? So why do we need to have Mm -hmm. an But, But my point is this. Each set of curricula, each set of skill is based on the curricula of how to do the skill. And the medical director will get the opportunity to make the determination of what that looks like. Once that's done, they need to test out on that. Once Mm -hmm. they did that, then the competencies are signed. Then we add that to their skill of practice. So Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, if they're on scene or if they're running in an ambulance by themselves, they're able to do the skill that they're signed off to do. Now, think about this. So initially when they come in, they've got to work with a paramedic partner until they get to a phase of X, which now brings them to EMT2, let's say. I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing here. Now, Mm -hmm. when they get to EMT2, they're taking the study for EMT3. And this is inside an organization. Now, as an EMT3, they can work on their own truck with their own EMT. Right, yeah, because now they yeah. have this set of skill that's that's three levels above the basic that they came in at. That's how I think that we should do this. And then mm-hmm. each organization has the responsibility of creating the workforce that they need to serve the citizens that are relying on them to serve them.
1: I I I agree fully. Uh, maybe the structure should be uh, would be something somewhat different in the system I designed, but but yeah. Uh, First of all, we we throw we throw kids to the wolves when we hire them uh, quite often, and and this is my my biggest gripe with experience. Uh, all too many EMS organizations hire a a new newly minted EMT or paramedic or whatever, and then they stick them in the first opening they ha- the 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 biggest opening they have on a truck. And where is that opening always? It's with the burnout who couldn't keep a partner who runs off everyone that ever works with him. And that's their mentor and their role model uh, for their entree into EMS. Uh, so yeah, experience kind of sucks in that regard the way it's done so many so often. But if you have a structured onboarding program that that does, like you said, gives the new hires gives the the the, the new EMTs the skills and tools to succeed, um, then it's an easy step. Uh, my organization, we, we went through when we were hired, our new hire Academy was almost 40 hours long. Uh, we stayed, uh, <clears throat> uh, in, in, uh, our training facility in Lafayette for four or five days, I believe it was. Uh, and then we had to get our conditional clearance uh, on the truck, which would last anywhere from a month to, uh, a month to six weeks, uh, or longer. We had to ride with a preceptor for a minimum of, of 12 uh, shifts uh, and several different preceptors at that. Uh, so by the time you were done as an EMT or a paramedic for Acadian Ambulance, you were you were well versed in the company culture. You knew our protocols uh, and uh, uh, multiple people had adequate time to sign off on your knowledge and your skills and turn you loose to function. That's just not done that way in all too many cases. And You see this, uh, so, so that, that's not a, a problem with supraglottic airways or whatever new skill you want to add, like checking inject epi or giving a glucagon injection or, or something like that, or in some states, God forbid, glucometry. EMTs can't check blood sugars, but lay people can um it's not so much an issue with the skill it's a it's a regulatory issue where you where some states and some systems are just jacked up and their hands are tied behind their back you know so many of the comments in that thread were it's it's not legal in my state but no one talks about any steps they took and advocacy they they engaged in towards making it legal and we've spoken before about how EMS, uh, how many uh, regulatory decisions about EMS are made in a vacuum because the people practicing it are not engaging effectively with with the policymakers. Uh, they're not getting their message out there. So, dude, 24 years ago, we changed the way we regulate EMS in the state. It used to be legislatively defined. So literally, if you wanted to if you wanted to add a skill, uh, or, or, or change to the newest DOT curricula, it literally took an act of the legislature. Um, <clears throat> and, and we finally made the legislature see how silly that was. And why don't we empower a body to to keep track of those things that didn't require uh, regulatory changes. So we commissioned the EMS Certification Commission made up of doctors, EMTs and paramedics uh, self-governance and, and empower them with making these disciplinary decisions about uh, our practice and with, with helping with, with some input uh, determine our scope of practice. And now when we want to add something, uh, we show the science to our EMS Certification Commission um and and we're ready to go you know they look at it they look at the relevant science that we provided or look up what science they want to see on their own Uh, and with guidance and and oversight from the physicians on the board who are actively working with EMS providers every day uh we make those decisions so we were able to do things easily uh and fairly smoothly and streamlined uh like add supraglottic airways and take out language that specifically mentions one type of supraglottic airway and make it broad so that you can use whatever new device that comes up on the market uh, if you're adequately trained in it and your agency wants to use that. So if your agency wants to use a King or a comba tube or an Igel or whatever, they, they have the ability to do so. Um, and the world didn't end and it was easy. The world didn't end. EMS practice uh, is is strong and robust, and, and these guys are not out there killing people because they're blindly doing something that they haven't been trained to do. They have been trained to do it, and it's easy to do within the existing EMS educational framework. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. We saw how some some people uh, responded to to that thread, uh, but those of you who haven't seen that thread, what do you think? Can EMT safely uh, insert supraglottic airways can they be uh, relatively easily trained to do the skill and if not why not we'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com don't forget to rate us on itunes and for myself and co-host chris Ceballero who can take any supraglottic airway on the market thanks for tuning in to inside ems we're going to catch you guys next week